Good morning, everyone. We're going to continue our study in Matthew 21 and 22 um, for the next few weeks. We're going to pick up right where we left off. So in this passage this morning, it's Monday morning. It's four days before the cross. It's six days before the resurrection of Jesus on Easter morning. There's a huge festival. That's such an understatement. Passover. There's a huge festival going on in Jerusalem. And Jesus and his disciples are staying um, just across the valley, as you know, many of us would have to. And as many of us would, on, if we were on a day of a huge festival, they go in on Monday morning just to walk around and see everything being set up and smell all the food being prepared. And, and some early events are already starting. So they're just walking around to see what's going on. And Jesus gets hungry. And that's when weird stuff starts happening. And that's when weird stuff starts getting said. And that's where we're going to pick up in our passage here, Matthew 21, verse 18, right where we left off last week. In the morning, when he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the side of the road, he went to it and found nothing at all on it but leaves. Then he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they were amazed, saying, How did the fig tree, how did the fig tree yeah, wither all at once? Jesus answered them, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only will you do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will be done. Whatever you ask for in prayer with faith, you will receive. Well, no, this passage is very disturbing. First of all, Jesus is hungry and kills a tree. Um, we're not sure why that is happening. And then he says, you'll be able to do that too. I guess if you want to. And you'll be able to do that too. In fact, you could even tell this mountain, Mount Zion, to be thrown into the ocean and it would happen. Now, had he stopped right there, then I'd be up here saying, now, of course, he's using hyperbole. Of course, he's using a figure of speech to make a point. Like, you know, when we tell the kids, I've told you a million times. I mean, it wasn't nearly that, just you know, not more than half of that many times. And, um, and that's what we'd be saying, except that Jesus has to double down then and say, Whatever you ask for in prayer with faith, you will receive. And all of us know that is just not true. I've known that's not true since I was six years old. When with perfect childlike faith, I prayed, you know, that my parents would not be divorced. And they were. And I prayed that my grandfather would get well and not die. But he did. And there are children all over the world this morning praying with perfect faith that their pets would be healed and their siblings would get better. And, 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 and many, many of those prayers are not going to turn out the way those kids want. And I'm not sure the parents are faring a whole lot better. There are, there are parents in this room filled with faith and praying fervently and all over the country and all over the world who are praying fervently. And yet their children are still addicted to drugs and yet their family members and friends are still passing. I, know, I once know of a woman, I did not know her, but I know of a woman uh, through an acquaintance, only one step removed from myself, who had so much faith as she prayed that her husband would not succumb to a terminal illness, that when he did pass away, she went to the funeral to show her next step of faith, that he would be raised from the dead. And her family could not get her to leave the funeral because that would be a sign 
of her doubt that she didn't believe that God was going to do this miracle for her. And when the sun went down, the cemetery officials could not remove her from the grounds because she was going to show her faith before God. And in the morning, the police had to be summoned and remove her from the cemetery, and she was placed into psychiatric care. Jesus tells us so much truth. How can he be so off this morning? So I have a bias, and I have a theology which says that Jesus cannot be wrong in the things he tells us about prayer and a relationship with God. And so if I read something like this and I feel like that Jesus is off, then my bias in my theology says more likely that I have not correctly understood exactly what he is saying. So Alex was here preaching a couple weeks ago, and he taught us about how to handle scripture and different techniques for using the Bible. And one of them, he said, was reading in context which means you find the meaning of the passages all around the passage you're reading, and that will help you understand the meaning of the passage you are in. So we're going to try to apply that, that technique, reading in context, and see if we can't under, uh, uh, uncover exactly what's going on in these five verses. So last week we studied the 17 verses in front of this. And it was all about Jesus riding a baby donkey into Jerusalem because that was a sign of the coming king who was going to save us. And then he goes into the temple and he says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. And you've turned it into a den of robbers. And then he tears up the market in there as a sign that you know, the temple has gotten outside of the mission of God and the time of the temple is ending. And that's what the 17 verses are about leading up to this. Now, we will study the 42 verses after this. But I'll give you a spoiler alert. I'm giving you so many reasons not to come anymore. <laughs> you come for a lot more than just a message. It's for the worship and the friendship and all of it. So anyways, um, but uh, the 42 verses after this are that same theme, that the king has come and that he is the king who's come to save us and that the time of the temple is ending because God's plan of the Messiah has come. So, if the verses leading up to this were all about the coming king and the time of the temple ending, and the, uh, and the 42 verses after this are also about the coming king and the time of the temple ending, it is unlikely that Jesus steps out for five verses here to make some other point. Unless there's something here in the text that signaled a change in um, subject, and there's not anything like that in the text. So probably these five verses, too, somehow carry the theme of the king has come to save us and the time of the temple is ending. So let's examine these five verses in light of the context of what comes before and after and see if it doesn't help us to understand these just a little bit better. Okay, so we have the temple. The fig tree is near the temple. What is the temple's meaning? So the temple's meaning has been for 1,200 years by the time of this passage, that God wants to be with us. He wants to be among us, right here on earth even. But he must be veiled. There's a separation between us. There's literally a curtain inside that temple in the, the most holy place that represents the veil that must exist between God and people for people's own protection because of the sinfulness of people. However... The temple also says that God doesn't want that sinfulness to be a barrier. And yet we can't take away our own sin. We can't forgive ourselves. We can't cleanse ourselves. Um, without help, we cannot even stop sinning. And so the temple has built in 
the, that picture too, that God wants to make a way. And so there will be sacrifices to take away sin. And there will be, there's a cleansing water basin there that will symbolize the washing from sin. And so that is what the temple story has been. But now, Jesus the Messiah has come. He's ridden in. He's the king come to save us. He is a sign also. Jesus is also a sign. The same sign, in fact, that God wants to be among us, even here on earth, except he's not veiled. We can see him. We can know him. He laughs with us. He eats with us. He weeps with us. How can he do all this? Because he is about to make the sacrifice that will take away the sin that lets us be with God on the cross. That's what Jesus will do. And the water basin that cleanses us, that goes into the waters of baptism. So for 1,200 years, the temple has been an access road to God, while God's highway of the Messiah is being built. You know, you always build an access road so people can still get home while the highway is being built. But the highway, God's plan, is the King, the Messiah. How often in the Old Testament do they say, you know, the day of the Lord is coming, make straight paths for him. I mean, that's what you do when you build a highway. You make straight paths. You know, the, the, the ground's rough and broken, so you have to dynamite down some mountains. Sometimes you make a tunnel. You follow the contours when you can, but you try to make everything as straight as you can, smooth as you can. A lot of work goes before the pavement's laid and the highway is open. So while the highway is under construction, the temple lets, lets people come home to God. But now the king has come. Now the king has come. The freeway is open. The ribbon is cut. The veil is literally torn. And now there's 20 lanes of traffic leading to God. In fact, 7 billion lanes of traffic. One for every person leading to God. And now that the way to God is open, you can jackhammer up and remove the access road. The time of the temple has passed. No one keeps driving on the access road after the freeway is open. So what Jesus is doing is an acted out parable. Fig trees, very often, Alex was just telling me right before service. It's never too late to add something to your sermon. Um, <laughs> very often, fig trees represented Israel and their mission to the world. And that's what the temple was, represent, a representation of Israel's mission to the world. And, and just as Jesus went into that temple and found it, as he said, a den of robbers. This is not a place of prayer anymore, he says. It's, he's got politics and fighting and profiteering, and he tears it up because it's not bearing any fruit anymore. When he walks up to that fig tree and finds it without fruit, it withers up. The time of the temple is passing. And then he turns to his disciples he starts talking to them about prayer because the closeness with God that the temple offered, that's not lost. That's now in him. And now you can pray to Jesus, through Jesus, and because of Jesus. And all those prayers are received by God because the highway is open. And he wanted them to know that. And that's where he starts talking about prayer and whatever you ask for in prayer, uh, you will receive. Now, I want to remind us all, no is a received answer from God. 
I had a friend who prayed fervently for about three months that he would receive a promotion in his job. He wanted to be promoted to this new position so bad. Not only did he not get the position, but he was passed over by a workmate that, in his opinion, had a very poor work ethic. And he couldn't understand what God was doing. Not only did he not receive the answer to his prayer, but he was passed over by someone. You know, how could he be passed over by someone like that? He, he did not understand. Three months later, the economic crash of 2008 hit, and his company eliminated an entire department, which included the position he wanted to be promoted into. It was gone. But his, he was safe right where he was, and he thanked God for the no answer he had received. Not now is a received answer from the Lord. I have hurled myself against doors in prayer that I was fairly certain God was standing on the other side holding it shut. (laughs) Only to find months later that there were still some things that needed to be done out in the hallway. And had I come on in months earlier, a lot of things would not have gone well. And I ended up thanking God for his not now answer. Having God give you something different than you asked for, but it still solves the problem. You know, we we have these problems. We take them to God and afraid he can't figure it out. We often suggest to him certain solutions. (laughs) Um, But if you receive something entirely different and yet it still addresses your concern, that is an answer to prayer. Finding out that we've been hanging on to something too long. And all our prayers accomplish is to peel off our fingers until we let go. Because he wants to place something entirely different in our hand. Usually his hand. That's also an answer to prayer. It's also an answer to prayer to realize over time that the thing you're praying for isn't even really what you want. And having your heart changed such that you become okay not to receive that is an answer to prayer. Knowing God's will and living it is the ultimate answer to every prayer. To actually know God's will and live in that is actually the ultimate answer to every prayer. So I want to say that Everything I've said here, I feel like, is true. Um, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. I want to talk about First John first. Uh, John speaks a little bit. He gives us another version of what Jesus just said here, but he adds a couple of words I find really interesting. Um, and here's what it says in First John. First John chapter 5, uh, verse 14. Starts out a lot like what Jesus said, but listen for a couple of words dropped in here. And this is the boldness we have in him. That if we ask for anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask for anything according to his will, he hears us. So John's dropping in here this according to his will. So our question is, is John saying the same thing that Jesus said? Jesus said, if you ask for anything in prayer without doubt. John says, if you ask for anything in prayer according to his will. Are these really the same thing? 
So now we're reading in context, in the context of the entire story of the New Testament and in the entire story of Jesus. So our question is, would Jesus also tell us if you ask for anything according to God's will? Well, you know who gets to practice all this ask God for bold things first? Jesus himself. Three days after saying, if you ask for anything without doubt, you will receive it. Three days after that, Jesus himself finds himself in a garden praying this to God. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. So three days after telling his disciples, if you ask for anything in my name, or he didn't say that. He said, if you ask for anything without doubt, you'll receive it. Three days later, Jesus says, well, God, I have something I'd like to ask for. I'd like to ask not to go to the cross. I'd like to ask not to be tortured. I'd like to ask not to be arrested and put through a fake trial with fake witnesses. I'd like to ask that my friends not all run away and abandon me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus is praying in accordance with God's will. And God sends him an angel that says something to him that strengthens him. It doesn't say what the angel said. I wouldn't even want to guess, but whatever he said, it was something probably along that said, exactly what you're praying for is not what's going to happen. However, what God is going to do is going to fulfill many, many things. And it gave Jesus strength. Whatever that angel said gave Jesus strength to not receive exactly what he was asking for because it was God's will. So everything I've said here, um, I, I, I believe I've told the truth and been true to the scriptures. And I, I would want us all to remember that we have heard here today that you can bring anything before God as long as we all understand that, that no is an answer. And not now is an answer. And not this way is an answer. And that's not really what you want is an answer. And, and letting go of some things that we've been hanging on to too long is an answer. I would want us to remember that we said all of that. But I would also want us to remember that there are also a lot, a lot of yeses in the kingdom of God. So I have I've been your pastor now for 16 years. And I've gotten to know, to know you as a church family. And one thing that I know is that I don't believe that this congregation is likely to produce people who are in, going to stay out on graves all night trying to make some sort of blind faith thing happen and wind up committed to psychiatric care. I, I just don't think that's the vibe of this church family. We have other problems. I just don't think that's... That's one of them. Every church has to have difficulties, right? Um, I think ours is more likely the other way. I think we're far more likely to be tempted here at Lakeland to not pray to God. Um, here are the things that I hear more over the course of 16 years. Um, you know, I know that God is not a vending machine. I know that God is not a genie. I know that God has much bigger things to attend to than me and my problems. I don't pray for myself. I just pray for other people. Um, I know that God's will will happen whether I pray or not, so there's not really any point to it. I, I hear more of these types of phrases. 
And so I think for, for this congregation, we, we need to hear more of the faith to move mountains lesson. I think we need to hear more of Jesus' um, call to ask for the big things and bring them before God. And don't be afraid to do that. The way is open. The highway to God is open. I, I, I think we need to go more on the radical journey of prayer where you get out a journal, and I know that many of us don't like to journal. I didn't. I don't. I did not used to like to journal either. Um, but last year, things got to be too confusing, too chaotic, and I just had to do something to keep my mind from spinning off into craziness. <laughs> and I just got out my journal and just prayed every day. We need to go and write those letters to Jesus and listen for his response and pray for the same thing every day. Here I am on Tuesday, God. I'm asking you the same thing I asked you for on Monday. And here I am on Wednesday, Lord. And I'm asking you for the same thing I asked for on Monday and Tuesday. And we've got we've to write those prayers to Jesus on the days we think this is the day he is going to answer my prayer. And we need to write those prayers on the next day when that is not what happened. And we wonder what it's all been for. We need to write these prayers on days we can see that our heart is changing into exactly the kind of person we always wanted to be. And we need to write those prayers the next day when we fall so hard, we wonder if we've really changed at all. We need to bring these prayers before him and feel our heart changing, feel our prayers changing. So I've been, I've been on this journey for a year or so. Uh, just over a year. And I can only say that it does something really beautiful inside of you and with your closeness to God. I mean, I can't say it makes everything okay. I mean, I didn't win any scratch-offs and my hair has not grown back. <laughs> but other things have happened and I can't describe them to you. I can only tell you to take this journey. So you've all been given a journal by some aunt or something and you wrote the first two pages in it and then lost it in a drawer or a bookshelf. But, but pull that back off and start again on this radical journey of prayer with God. I believe there's peace at the end of a life walked in this way. I, I, I'm not old enough to say that with authority, but I'm getting old enough I can kind of see it from here. Um, you come to the end and you look back and some lived and some died and some turned toward God and some turned away from God and some dreams came true and some never did but you know that God was not surprised by any of it and Jesus has made a way for us to be with him and so we have peace Father Ronald Rollheiser I heard him several years ago say that as Christians, we give our life away and then we give our death away. So in my head, I can kind of understand what he meant by we give our life away. I can't say I've done that very well, but I understand what he's talking about. We give our life away and it's a sign of what Christ has done. That line he had about we give our death away, I've wrestled with that a lot and I'm starting to maybe see some more of it. He'll forgive me if I've got this completely wrong, I hope. But I think when we give our death away, it means, you know, as we come to that part of life, 
We accept that that's, this, is, this, is, this is upon me. This is the time. And I believe that Jesus has made a way for me to be with him and I have peace. And we tell that to those around us who love us and it gives them peace. It gives them peace to know that we know that we believe our time has come. But Jesus has made a way for us to be with him, and so we have peace. And our peace gives them peace. And that understanding also teaches them where they need to get when they take their journey shortly behind us. No matter how young they are in the scope of all human history, they're going to take this journey too, shortly behind us. And then, not just the life we gave away, but the death we give away becomes a sign of what Jesus has done. One last witness, one last testimony to the power of Christ. And then we've given it all away. So I want to show you one more Bible study technique. Um, we talked about reading in context, but there's one more, and that is when you find a question in the scriptures... Stop and answer that question yourself. So we only had one question in our passage this morning. When the fig tree withered, the disciples were amazed and said, how did the fig tree wither all at once? So we ask, how did the fig tree wither all at once? Because Jesus had come. And the way was open. And when the king comes, you don't need the old ways anymore to reach God. The way to reach God is open. And it's true. Forty years later, after that day, um, the Roman Empire marched into Jerusalem and they tore that temple down. Their orders were to leave no brick standing on top of another. And they threw those stones over into the valley. And that temple lays in ruin to this day. But closeness with God was never lost. The highway had already been open for 40 years. The prayers were already, that once were offered in that temple, were already now could be offered to Jesus and through Jesus and because of Jesus. And so the closeness with God and God's plan was never lost. So the fig tree withered, but the fruit was now in the king and the Messiah. And we can bring him our prayers. Amen.